We are re-engaging in the book of 1 Samuel through uh, the, the summertime. We did the book of Psalms, and now we're back in our second message in 1 Samuel to re-engage the story of David's life and what God was up to in redemptive history. Last week, we looked at some lessons that David learned through the wilderness. We looked at how God brought David through some really difficult times in the wilderness and developed him through those wilderness experiences and prepared him for kingship, prepared him for the responsibilities that he would bear as king. And I tried to do an overview of 1 Samuel 19 through chapter 23, and we looked at what we call David's wilderness experience while he was on the run from King Saul, who was seeking to take his life. He didn't choose this experience. It was kind of thrust upon him. He was kind of plunged into the wilderness, as Eugene Peterson says. He was plunged into the wilderness on run for his life. And we get a snapshot of some of David's lowest moments in the history of his life. And I love how much content we have about the life of David. Uh, We've got a lot of history about the life of David. And not only the story of what happened with David, but we have some Psalms. In the book of Psalms, the largest book in the Bible, 150 chapters, we have some Psalms that correlate with these experiences that David went through. So we not only get to hear the story and read the story, but we get to hear the heart, the emotional state of King David walking through his lowest moments in life. And for many of us, we have found the book of Psalms to be a lifeline for us when we're going through the most difficult of times because David poured his heart out to God. David expressed his trust in God and we learned so much about walking through the wilderness through his life. Because we have the record of the story and we have the record of the psalms. And we, we talked about, we looked at a couple different cave psalms. Psalm 57, Psalm 142, when David was at his lowest moment. Uh, Psalm 34, psalms that are associated with David in this time when David was living in caves and when he was on the run in the wilderness. And we learned how to manage complaints. From David, pour out our hearts to God, pour out our complaint to the Lord and cry out to God in prayer. We learned how to face our fear, seek the Lord, trust the Lord. We learned how to trust and, and, God, and be confident in God's loving care for our lives. David was convinced that God is for him and he declares that in his lowest moments. He declares God's steadfast love, his hesed. He declares that God is for him and that God sees every one of his tears and catches them and keeps track of every single tear that he cried. We learn these lessons. We learn from David how to praise God in the difficult times. And we're going to continue to learn a few more lessons from the life of David in in this chapter 1 Samuel 24, we're going to learn how to overcome evil with good. David is a beautiful example of what the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Christians in Rome to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I wonder if Paul was thinking about that when he wrote these words, if if that the story of David was brought to his memory as he was writing these out. Let me just begin by asking you, when was the last time you chose to be merciful to someone who wronged you when you could have easily gotten revenge? And and if you if you chose to show, show mercy in that moment, what do you think it was that enabled you to do that? You see, in David's story, we see a beautiful portrait of mercy and grace that each of us have experienced from the greater David, Jesus, King 
Jesus. And this is something that we are to be humbled by as we think about our, our state before God and how he was gracious and merciful to us while we were yet enemies. Christ died for us. Right. And this is something we are also to emulate, to apply and share with others, just as we ourselves have received mercy and grace. When, when someone observes such radical acts of mercy, it ought to beg the question, why? Why are you doing this? It, it, it should uh, um, baffle people. And, and there should be this, this why. Why are you showing mercy to me when I don't deserve it? And, and we would do well to reflect on the why of showing mercy, both prior to extending that mercy to people and when it's, when it's, when it's afterwards, when we've, when we've been, by God's grace, been able to do that, to extend that mercy to those who have harmed us. And so with that in mind, let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel, and he went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfold, by the way, where he was, where, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is your day. Here is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand. Then you and, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him. Because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord. The Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and he left the cave and he went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and he called after Saul. My Lord, the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and he paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you know, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb as the proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom the king of Israel, after whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words, to Saul. Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. 
And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore to Saul and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Here's our big idea this morning. David spared Saul's life when he had the opportunity for revenge. In doing so, he overcame evil with good. And he demonstrated his fear of God and his trust in God to fulfill his plans for him. And to bring about vengeance in due time. So here we have this this incredible story. This incredible story of King David on the run. He's in a place called En Gedi. And you can visit this place today. Here's a a couple of pictures. In the wilderness, this is described as an oasis in the wilderness. And there were were a bunch of caves there that that David and his men could find hiding. There were springs. Uh, It literally means spring of young goat. So, so, I mean, if you're going to live in the wilderness, you might as well find a spot that's pleasurable, that's enjoyable, that has some resources, right? So David and his men, he's with about 600 men at this time. Now, I said early on that he had 400, chapter 23. There's about 600 men with David. So this must be a massive cave if they're all in there with him, if, if that whole 600 is in there with him, right? And so Saul shows up with his army and... Uh, Joe Joe Woodhouse said in his commentary, he said David had about 600 men with him at at this time. That gave Saul about a 5 to 1 numerical advantage. Not to mention that he had chosen men out of Israel, the nation's best. David's men, by contrast, were the downtrodden and oppressed. He had hardly chosen them. Would you? Think of the, the Mighty Ducks, if you remember that movie. Or the bad news bears, or you can. The list goes on with movies. I'm not very good with movies, but those were two that came up. I asked for some help, but I didn't. Wasn't very familiar with those movies. There was a motley crew. There was a ragtag crew that had gathered to David, and it's just, that crew is described here in, in 1 Samuel 22, verse two. It says, "Everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt." And everyone who was bitter and soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there, and there were with him about 400 men at that time. So it was 400, and then it grew. And so David was probably doing some training. He was one of the greatest warriors, right? He took out Goliath, or it, actually God did through him. And, and so, so these guys were, were getting equipped for battle and then providentially God brings David's enemy King Saul to the cave the very, of, of all the caves that King Saul could have stopped at to go to the restroom to relieve himself he stopped at this cave where David and his men just so happened to be taking refuge so Saul goes in to do his business, and you know, he has all his stuff on and his robe and does his business, and David shows up and he swiftly cuts the corner of his robe. His men are like, All right, David, this is it. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Get him. David's like, No, this is not it. This is not how it's gonna go down. But nevertheless, David creeps up, he does something, he creeps up and sneaks up and he cuts a little corner of the robe, and immediately when he just did that little thing, it seems very little to us, he cuts the corner of the robe, his heart struck him. Or the NIV says he was conscience stricken. He was convicted. He realized, I shouldn't be doing this. This is not how to treat the Lord's anointed. This is not how to treat authority. Even though this guy has not done right, he is he's unjustly pursuing my life. This is not how it's supposed to go down. And so he refuses, even with the peer pressure. 
even with the pressure of his men who were like, all right, man, we were tired of waiting up in these caves in the wilderness. Like, this is it. Get them. And David pushes back because he had a healthy fear of God. He was a man of integrity. Of course, he wasn't perfect. But let me just give a, a brief overview. We see Saul against David. He's on the hunt. Saul was, was fighting the Philistines. And he's like, okay, now it's time to go hunt for David again. And so he, he's pursuing David. And, and Saul finds mercy from his enemy. It confounds him. It baffles him. It breaks him down. It melts him to an emotional uh, 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 puddle. He was spared by David. And David confronted Saul in this chapter. We see a confrontation here. He wasn't passive. He confronted Saul's actions. And we see Saul's emotional response. And then David was spared. And so let's look at a few lessons here that we learn from David's experience. The first one is that David teaches us to respond to our adversaries. Namely, with mercy. Okay? Now, the, this narrative in 1 Samuel is descriptive. This is a descriptive story of what happened. Okay? Now, we're told, we're given prescription in the New Testament of how we are to treat our adversaries. And we'll look at that here shortly. And David modeled that in the Old Testament. David was persuaded. Verse 7 says, David was, he, so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. Surely the temptation and the pressure must have been really strong in that moment. This is the providence of God. God brought him here. It's no coincidence that Saul just so happened to show up in this cave where we're hiding so that he didn't kill us with his five or six thousand men. And then it's verse 10. It says, Behold this day your eyes have seen. This is, this is what, what David said to Saul. Behold this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you, gave you today into my hand. Notice the acknowledgement both from David and Saul. This is God's doing. God has brought you here. This is God's doing. And David didn't want to misinterpret his response to what God was doing. He wanted to respond with integrity, with righteousness, in a God-honoring way to authority. Even though that authority was doing ungodly things. He said, the Lord gave you today into my hand in this cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. Mercy. Mercy. We see David sparing. He could have taken Saul's life in that moment, stabbed him with a knife or a sword like he was being encouraged to do. And he said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Notice the conviction there. Notice the respect for authority there. Notice the fear of God there within David, even in his lowest moments when he was tempted to get revenge. That's when it can, the, the, earth, the temptation can be the strongest, when we're struggling, when life is hard, the resources are slim to just get some relief by getting revenge. You know, Jesus was tempted in, in, in Matthew chapter 4 in the wilderness to take a shortcut, right? Satan tempted him to turn rocks into bread, jump off the temple, the angels, uh, the angels will catch you, bow down and worship me, Satan said, and, and all these kingdoms that, that are mine, I'll give them to you. Just take the shortcut. You don't need the cross. You don't need to do, do that thing that the Father sent you here to do. Just take the shortcut. This was David's temptation to take a shortcut to the throne. And he resisted it. He was waiting for God. He was trusting God. He decided to show mercy. And there was proof of mercy. He had a legitimate proof of mercy. When he cut the corner off of that robe, he had something to show there. Now, he was convicted of it. Joe Woodhouse says that, that the symbolic significance of the torn piece of Saul's royal robe held high by David may have struck Saul, but it was overpowered by a fresh symbolic significance 
David gave it as proof of the mercy he had shown to Saul. If David was holding the symbol of the kingdom in his hands, he was also holding the symbol of his innocence, his faithfulness, and his kindness towards Saul. Alexander McLaren says that there's two great lessons that are taught by this tragic figure of weeping yet the unchanged king. One is that one is of the, 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 power, the power of forbearing gentleness to exercise hate. The true way to overcome evil is to melt it by fiery coals of gentleness. That is God's way. An iceberg may be crushed to powder by every fragment, but every fragment is still ice. Only sunshine that melts it will turn it into sweet water. Love is conquer, and the only conqueror in its conquest is to transform hate into love. He also goes on, the second lesson that he goes on to mention is the worthlessness of mere feelings. Saul got very emotional. And, and he, didn't, he didn't kill David in that time with all his men. He didn't fight in that time, but, but he continued to do wrong. He had an emotional response in the moment, but we don't see the fruit of repentance, just like in the past with Saul. He had a confession, but no, no repentance accompanied with his confession before Samuel when he disobeyed the Lord. And so we also see that David teaches us to respect authority, right? If you're, you've been in the military, you're probably familiar with the term um, uh, uh, salute the suit. Is that right? Salute the suit, right? And, and so the idea is that the person who salute the uniform, right, the, the one who ha wears the uniform, who has the badges, who has the authority, even though they're... Their, their conduct may not be respectable to that position that they hold. You still honor the position that's there. And this is what David was doing. He realized that Samuel had anointed King Saul as king, and he was king. Even though he was acting like an ungodly king trying to take his life. We already saw that Saul had a bunch of priests killed, Right, he was he was a madman. He was a civil war, as, as as it's described of him, an internal civil war, a madman, a crazy man, who was suspicious and paranoid, who was losing his mind. And so, li listen, listen to uh, David's respect for authority here. He said, "The Lord forbid that I should do anything against my Lord, lowercase Lord. That's Saul, the Lord's anointed. That's Yahweh." To put my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and, they, and, and did not permit them to attack Saul. He says, my Lord, my, my Lord and King. And Saul looked upon him and bowed, and, and, and Saul looked upon him. David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. Even in this low, low moment of David, this difficult moment, he's still showing respect. Even in his confrontation of King Saul. He still shows respect. He also teaches us, David teaches us how to handle the temptation for revenge. Namely, to wait for God. Wait for God to do something. Wait for God to act. Another psalm that we have of David, and we don't know exactly when this was written. It's not described as a cave psalm in the subscription. But we know it's of David. He says this, and I encourage you this week, in light of 1 Samuel 24, read through Psalm 37. Read through Psalm 37 and think about how God wants us to respond to our adversaries. How David teaches us through the inspired Psalms. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Notice the redirection of our emotions. Right? When we're faced with adversaries. Instead of being fretful and anxious about them. Delight yourself in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Do good. He goes on and he says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. 
and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the earth. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place, at his place. He will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Perhaps this is one of the one of the best commentaries of the, the, the wonderful beatitude that Jesus gave. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness, it's 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 yielding our strength to God. It's yielding our strength to God, yielding our rights to God so that he can show up, so that he can act, so that he can bring about his good plans and his good purposes. You go down to verse 34 in Psalm 37. He says, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on the wicked and you will look on when the wicked are cut off. Okay. David modeled for us the way of Jesus, the way Jesus taught us to respond to our enemies. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, But I say to, to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is easier said than done. Right. We know we ought to do it. It's simple and what's said. But it can be so difficult for us to live out, and we need spirit-empowered lives to do so. We need grace-empowered lives to do so. Gospel-empowered lives to live this out and apply the gospel to our lives in our relationships when we have people who have done us wrong. And living in a fallen, broken world, it's inevitable that that will happen. And being a Christian who represents Jesus... And his way, his truth, it's inevitable that it'll happen to Christians, to us. We're to expect that. I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's that's for application. David also teaches us to fear the Lord in this chapter. Notice this. And, and he teaches us to fear the Lord by keeping a clear conscience. Okay? He was more concerned about what God thought about this situation than what his men thought about the situation, the peer, peer pressure. He was more concerned about what God thought about the situation than what Saul or his men thought about it. He feared God. He, listen to this. He says, David rose stealthily, stealthily cut the corner, cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward, afterwards David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. You see, David knew that God saw these actions. And God is the one who rewards faithfulness and obedience. And God punishes or judges unrighteousness. He will deal with those who practice unrighteousness. And he feared God. He cared more about what God thinks. And notice in, in Psalm 34, he says specifically, and this is a cave psalm written after his experience uh, in, in 1 Samuel 22. He says, come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Okay, here's, here's, what, here's how we can walk in the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. David teaches us to fear the Lord. Explicitly in this psalm, in the cave psalms, David walked in this. He modeled this. 
He, he exemplified, uh, even in this moment, as Charles Swindoll points off, uh, points out that uh, Proverbs, you know, it says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies at peace with him. Yes. And at least in this scene, we see like some peace in the moment, momentarily at least, he delivered, God delivers King David, or David soon to be king, from King Saul. And he walked in the fear of the Lord. He trusted God. David also teaches us to trust God's sovereignty to fulfill his purpose for us. Trust in God's sovereignty to fulfill his purpose for us. Listen, to this is what he said to Saul. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the, may the Lord avenge against you. But my hand shall not be against you. Notice that. David was trusting for God to act. Ultimately, David knew that there was a higher authority. There was a greater king. There was someone who could do something about the injustice that he was experiencing. And it wasn't his responsibility to take matters into his own hands. His responsibility was to honor God and trust God in the process and do good, overcome evil with good, not raise his hand against the one who had been anointed king who was in that role in that moment. And this is another cave psalm, Psalm 57. This is what David said. I cry out to the Most High. Okay? Now, military strategy, by the way, um, it, it, it was good. It's good and strategic to be up on higher ground. Right? To be on a higher ground so when the enemy comes, I mean, you, there's a better view. There's There's... There's, you know, you got an advantage being in, on higher ground, all right. And David here, he he says, I cry out to the most high, the, the the most high, the one who has the authority, the God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me, Selah. David was trusting God to fulfill his plans for him. His men who were with him were saying, hey, David, take, take vengeance. Take matters into your own hands. Had he done so, he would have become like Saul, the one who continued to take matters in his own hands and operate in the flesh, operate with a selfish mentality rather than a kingdom mentality. And so David trusted God's sovereignty to fulfill his purposes for him. And we're to do the same. I think this will help us with forgiveness when we've been wronged. Like Joseph, who experienced terrible injustice and ill treatment from his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. And yet all the way through it, you see the providence of God. You see the sovereignty of God working to bring about good. God's good plans for Joseph's life. And in the end, when there's this meeting back up, when the opportunity was there for Joseph to get revenge on his brothers, they were at his mercy. He said, don't be afraid. God sent me here. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good so that many people would be saved through this. He, he, he saw the hand of God through this. David was aware of the hand of God and leading and directing his life and ordering his steps and sustaining his life and bringing about his good plans for his life. And that's the same for you and I. We know, we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And are called according to his purpose. And so we can have confidence in his sovereignty and in confidence in his goodness, confidence in his plan. And take our hands off of it when we're tempted to, to try to make things happen in our own strength, leaning on our own understanding. There's a way that seems right to man, but it's in his death. And so David teaches us to trust in the sovereign hand of God, the sovereign plan of God to bring about his purposes. David had been anointed as the next king through the prophet Samuel, and he was living in a contradiction, if you will. That had been, he had been anointed for it. He had been told, you're going to be 
the next king, but instead of getting the throne, he got the wilderness and he got to live in caves and he got to be on the run and live in the lowest, darkest, most difficult moments of his life, all of which prepared him for the level of leadership that God was calling him into. None of our wilderness experiences are to go wasted. God is working. He's developing us. He's shaping us through trials and tribulations. And so we don't we don't push them out as intruders. We invite them in and say, all right, God, have your way. Let patience have its perfect work in me that I may be mature, complete, lacking nothing. Sometimes we want to get out of the oven too soon and we're not, we're not ready yet. God has us there. He's working in us. He's working through the difficult circumstances. And we're to continue to trust Him, to be faithful, to, to do what's right even when it's really hard. And so David models that for us. And Jesus models that even, even better for us. Um, David also models health, healthy confrontation. Though he trusted in the sovereignty of God, David wasn't passive. Though he trusted God's sovereign plan to come, come about, he still took some action. And here's a part of that action that he took. He confronted Saul. He confronted the injustice that Saul was pursuing his life with. He was trying to kill him. And so, and this was risky. Because he could have just stayed afraid in the cave and be like, no, I'm not going not gonna to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I mean, that was enough. I got the corner of his robe. I can hold on to that. But he, but he steps out after the situation in the cave. And it says, David also arose and he went out of the cave and he called after Saul, my Lord, my king. So here's a moment where Saul could have rose up with his army and attacked and went into the cave or whatever. They, 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 it could have went really bad here. It was risky. By the way, confrontation oftentimes is risky and difficult, and we got to press through fear. But he confronts the injustice, the unrighteousness, the, the, the ill treatment that Saul had towards David. He said, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some have told told me to kill you, but I spared you and said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. So he confronts him. Uh, verse 11, see my father. And, and by the way, Saul calls, Saul calls David, son, not son of Jesse this time, but he calls him my son in response and his emotional puddle in, in that emotional moment. And David refers to him, See my father, the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut it off, the corner of your robe, and did not kill you, you may know that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. That's unjust. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me and you, but my hand shall not be against you. And afterwards... Afterwards, we see um, verse 14. After whom the king of Israel come, has come out? After whom do you pursue a dead dog, a flea? May the Lord judge between us. And so we see Saul's emotional response here. And he calls David my son, not the son of Jesse. He, he wept out loud. He acknowledges David's righteousness or integrity. And, and he acknowledges God's providence. The Lord put me in your hands. Saul speaks favorably towards David. He acknowledges that, that David is going to be the future king. Now I know you're going to be the king. It's this beautiful moment of good overcoming evil. And then we see Saul request that his family would not be cut off. That when he does become king, that, that, that David wouldn't take revenge on his family as it was common to do so in these situations. And then this very last verse here of the chapter, it says, David swore to Saul, and then Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. I put healthy boundaries over here. 
Because there's this really special emotional moment that happened with the crazy king who seemed to change his mind and have an emotional moment where, okay, I'm not going to kill you now. But David wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go back to the palace where it's good. Come on, guys. There's, there's some great food at the palace. No. No, he, he wasn't going to go back to the palace because Saul's conduct was unpredictable. Right? He just, this way or that way. And, and it was wise for him not to do so. And, and, and I point this out because I know that here at City Church, I know some of your stories. And I know that some of you have been wronged and hurt by people that have done you wrong and, and said things and have done things to you that should have never happened. All right? And, and though you're called to forgive them as a Christian, you're to love them, you're to pray for them, you're to bless them, you're to overcome evil with good, you don't have to put yourself in that same situation where you were under that abuse and that ill treatment. It's okay to have a healthy boundary. It's necessary in those situations to confront the evil lovingly, to speak the truth in love, to wait on God, to trust God, but also to set some healthy boundaries for you and your family where there's been abuse or, or you may need to report it to the proper people who've done you wrong in certain situations. And so with that said, let me close with a couple more points of application. First, expect to be mistreated by people in this life because mankind is naturally sinful and selfish. It's, it's inevitable that people are going to do you wrong in a fallen, broken world, a post-Genesis 3 world. You're going to get hurt. And especially if you're a Christian and you're standing for righteousness, you're standing for the one who is the way, the way, not a way among many. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You're going to be called all kinds of names, and you're going to be you're going to be uh, um, what's the word canceled. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you're going to be treated that are that are painful and don't feel good. But expect it. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul said. Jesus called called his followers blessed when people persecute you for righteousness' sake. Not for being a jerk's sake, but for righteousness' sake. Count it all joy, rejoice, and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward is in heaven as they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They're going to do so to you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, the world's going to hate me. The world uh, hates you, going to hate you as well. They slandered me, they're going to slander you. It's just a part of part of following Jesus. We're, we're going to experience some hardship and some difficulty and some persecution. And there are people, Christians in the world, that are really experiencing this more than just being canceled and cut off on social media or certain social media platforms or canceled of canceled business. There are people that, like Saul, was seeking David's life in Christian region or in in, in non-Christian regions where Christians are living. There are Christians who are, their lives are being hunted. And they literally have to live in caves, underground church, and have to have to hide and not, not let the government find out that they're meeting, that they're worshiping God, that they're followers of Jesus. Jesus says, this is the blessed life. Totally goes against the American dream. It's countercultural Christianity. Next resolve beforehand that you are not or that you are going to resist the urge to take revenge and choose forgiveness and choose forgiveness. Resolve beforehand that when you're done wrong, that you're going to respond with forgiveness. You're not going to take matters into your own hands. Develop the conviction now. Right, because we have knee-jerk reactions that happen when we're in situations that we don't have a whole lot of time to process and figure out how we're going to respond in some situations. So resolve now, you're going to honor God by not getting vengeance. You're going to choose forgiveness. Because as the Apostle Paul says, with apostolic authority, built on what Jesus taught and how to treat our enemies, the Apostle Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. 
I will repay. Now just let's just pause there for a second. If God says vengeance is mine and we take it up, what's happening here? We're taking something that God's claiming as his. That's not our place. Okay? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's where we get the title for this message today. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus pleaded for mercy to his persecutors, to those who were taking his life. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Mercy was coming out in his darkest, most difficult moments towards those who were harming him. And he has shown us mercy when we were his enemies. The greater David, King Jesus, has treated us with love and kindness and mercy and grace. Charles Swindoll in his book on David says that there is a three-step process we go through when we want revenge. First, injury. Second, vulnerability. Third, depravity. When you mix the three together, you get revenge. We saw it in David's life. First, Saul did the injury. Second, he came upon Saul at a vulnerable time. Third, in human depravity, he could have plunged in the knife and it all would have tallied revenge. His colleagues would have applauded, but he would have had that on his conscience for the rest of his life. And he goes on and he says, you will never regret forgiving somebody who doesn't deserve it. Amen to that. You will never regret forgiving somebody who doesn't deserve it. As I was thinking about some other examples in history, one of the, the, the best I could come up with was Corey Ten Boom. She lived through the Holocaust. She was an advocate for the Jews hiding them from the Nazi soldiers who were taking lives. She lived from 1892 to 1983. Here's a couple of quotes I'm going to share from her because she walked through the harsh treatment of living in the Nazi camps for being an advocate, advocating justice for the Jewish people, trying to save lives. She went to jail for it. She says, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and shackles of selfishness. She says, do you know what hurts so very much? It's love. Love is the strongest force in the world. And when it is blocked, that means pain. There are two things we can do when this happens. We can kill that love so that it stops hurting. But then, of course, part of us dies, too. Or we can ask God to open up another route for that love to travel. She wrote this in her book, The Hiding Place. You may want to check that out. A couple more points here. Develop a robust view of God's sovereignty and goodness so that you may be stable and confident that God will work all things together for your good. Corey Tim Boone again says, every experience God gives us, every person he puts in our lives is the perfect preparation for a future that only he can see. You may not be able to see it right now. You may not be able to see it in your darkest moments, in your lowest valleys, but he can. And we can respond based on the perspective that he gives us in scripture, rather than our limited perspective when we're an emotional hurricane. <coughs> Lastly, remember how God has treated you when you were his enemy. 
and give that same mercy and grace you have received by forgiving offenders. Colossians 3.13 tells us, and I think this is a key for healthy relationships, healthy marriages, just healthy Christian relationships. If anyone has a complaint against one another, you must forgive and forbear. You must forbear and you must forgive as Christ has forgiven you. How has Christ treated you? The greater David, King Jesus, has treated you and I with mercy, with grace. And so we let it flow. We receive it. We let it flow to us. And we let it flow through us. And lastly, be diligent to keep a clear conscience before God. Knowing that God sees everything and he rewards faithful obedience and he judges righteously. Amen. If you all would bow with me in prayer. We can just have one minute of silence before the team leads us in a song and we have ministry time. What's God put his finger on in your life today as you hear these things about his way? His ways? What's he wanting to say to you? What's he wanting you to do? Father, would you meet us here? Especially those who are wrestling through some of the most painful experiences, traumatic experiences that they've walked through of abuse, ill treatment. Would you bring healing to the broken hearted because that's what you do. Would you bring freedom to the captives? The oil of joy from mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Would you destroy the strongholds of darkness in the lives of everyone present here and bring your kingdom, your kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit? If anybody would like prayer, you can raise your hand and we'll come and pray. We'll have some leaders come and pray for you or you can come up to the front. My wife and I are